Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, we welcome Andrew Jacatus from Giant Bicycles to the show. Andrew is a global product marketing manager and had a hand in the launch of the new Revolt X gravel bike. I have to say, after I saw former guest and friend Yuri Hoswald riding this new Giant Bicycle with a RockShox suspension fork on it, I couldn't resist reaching out to the team at Giant to learn a little bit more. I'd been curious as to when we'd start to see larger manufacturers bring suspension forks into the gravel bike world. I know it is a topic that many of you feel very passionately one way or the other about, but I thought it would be interesting to talk to Andrew about that decision and how they see the market evolving. Giant is a close to 50, maybe 50 plus year old company that's been producing bikes for many, many other brands, as well as developing their own brand back in the 80s. They've got a huge amount of research and development and organizational strength in the engineering department. So it was exciting to talk to them about what they were seeing with this bicycle. Obviously, they have models available with and without that rock shock. We talk about the Revolt X model, as well as one of the other models that shares a similar chassis, but not an identical chassis. And we'll get into why Giant was uniquely capable of producing something specific for running a suspension fork versus just slapping something on the same bike or the same frame that they had produced for the non-suspension model. Anyway, I look forward to you listening to this conversation. Andrew and I are contemporaries, so we share some stories about our early experience in the mountain bike market and the evolution of that market and some of the parallels we're seeing in the gravel world. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. It's good to good to have you. I'm I feel like I've been wanting to have someone on from Giant for a few years now and I couldn't resist reaching out through my friend Yuri Hoswald who just started riding for Giant USA uh, when I saw the new Revolt X. It seemed like too too much of a bike that was right up my alley not to get someone on the show to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a new launch for us. It just came out this February. Um, so it's still new. It's still hot. And it's an interesting product from Giant. Yeah. Yeah. Before we dig into that, let's just get a little bit about your history. Where, where did you grow up and how did you discover the bike? And ultimately, how did you end up working in the bike industry? Holy cow. That's a long story, but I will try and make it short for you. So I'm coming up on 50 years old. I've been riding and racing bikes, specifically mountain bikes, since I was 14 years old. I grew up in Southern California. I started racing and then riding, you know, around 87, 88. So I've, I've been through the almost the full trajectory of mountain biking. As, as a result of that, my love for cycling has grown. So Southern California guy, um, you know, went to college, University of Utah, and just 
absolutely fell in love with the sport of mountain biking. But out of that, I took my first job um, working for cycling publications. So over a period of nine years, I worked for five different magazines, starting in 1996, working for mountain biking, mountain biker, bike magazine, bicycling, and then eventually finished off my tenure at Vela News. And throughout that entire time, I was the tech editor for all those publications. I did a lot of product testing um, and, and had a pretty good gig doing all that. But it was 2004 when I was an editor, I flew from Colorado out to Southern California to be a guest at Giant Bicycles when they were introducing their Maestro suspension technology. And I remember specifically as an editor, writing that product, meeting the people behind the product and saying, hey, Giant has something going on for it. Like this is legit. Not only is the technology legit, but the people behind it are serious about what they're doing. And it really put, honestly, put Giant on my radar for what is going to be my next job. Lo and behold, position opened up in their marketing department. And 2005, I took the job at Giant. And here I am, what, some 18 years later, um, on the other end of the stick here, talking to editors around the world. Amazing. I love that we're in the same age range and went through sort of our coming up and in mountain biking around the same time. I know we could probably share a lot of stories that might not be interesting to our gravel riding audience, but thanks for sharing that. And just for a little bit of context, can you just talk about the origins of the giant uh, giant company and the giant brand? Yeah, for sure. And for, for those listeners who aren't aware, you know, we're ob ob obviously a legacy brand. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary. And again, another really long story short, the reason why Giant exists is way back in the 70s when Schwinn was having its bicycle boom. Schwinn is manufacturing the great majority of their product, you know, here in the United States. They realized that they needed to expand. They needed to bring prices down to some more affordability. So they sent off kind of their Lewis and Clark guys over to Asia to source out uh, bicycle manufacturing over in Asia. And one of those guys ventured over to Taiwan, which at the time wasn't producing anything to do with bicycles and fortuitously stumbled across a fledgling little company manufacturing company called giant at the time um, at the time they were not making bicycles but had the capability to do so well long story short giant became the main manufacturer of schwinn bicycles kind of in the in the late 70s there and so they were pumping out the great majority of schwinn bikes that maybe our parents grew up with or we grew up as grew up with as kids that grew and grew and grew. The manufacturing business continued to improve. The factory got bigger and bigger. We got better at it. And then in the um, early 80s, we started our own brand. And that's the brand that I work for, which is Giant. And that's the brand that most of your listeners are familiar with. So early 80s on that, we started making our own product, unique product, own designed, uh, manufactured and engineered by us. And that's the brand that we're talking about today. I remember in the very late 80s selling a giant iguana or two on the mountain bike side, if I can name drop that little bit of history to you. Yeah, that's still a running joke I get all the time. What do you feed the giant iguana? <laughs> Oldie but goodie. And I also remember, obviously, like, you know, in addition to that Schwinn product line that they were producing for many years, they then expanded to a lot of product for a lot of different manufacturers and I remember sort of learning that as I was working in a bike shop on the East Coast and realizing that, you know, of the seven brands that we were selling, you know, three or four of them were actually produced in the same factory. 
um, via Giant, which was kind of interesting at the time. Yeah, for sure. So our manufacturing side of the business um, does produce bicycles for some other brands out there. But the great majority of, of product that comes out of our factory is Giant. And just to clarify, you know, anything that comes out of our factory is engineered and, and designed by that brand. So everything is unique. Like the Giant brand is completely different than anything else that might come out of that factory. Um, but I'm here today to talk about, you know, Giant product and the Giant brand. So excited to get into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if we, as we trace back kind of the brand history, as you've been there the last 18 years or so, obviously Giant is a full service brand, meaning they're doing everything from kids bikes to Tour de France and, you know, UCI downhill bikes across the product line. When you think about how the brand kind of approaches that entire suite of product, is it does it does it sort of come from the top down and you're trying to make the best product possible? Or is each each kind of division kind of focused on like, oh, I'm trying to make an affordable bike or a commuter bike or what have you, and really just trying to be best of class in the area that it's competing in? Yeah. First things first is we make sure that we have the right people leading the right categories. From that every one of those category managers, their goal is to build the absolute best in class for that. Whether it be uh, a youth bike, whether it be a road, gravel, or mountain bike, we always want to shoot for the top. Only after we have all those these pieces in place do we start thinking about price points. How do we want to, you know, what price points do we want to hit? We look at, maybe sometimes we'll look at our competitors and see what they're doing and see how we can, you know, beat them. But for the great majority of time, because our factory, we are the factory, we have the greatest buying power in the entire cycling industry, if you think about it. I mean, we buy more DRXT rear derailers than any other brand on earth. So normally we're, we're always going to get the best pricing out of that. We don't normally focus on pricing. You know, your 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 listeners can certainly do their own shopping and, and look at different brands and different prices, but that's certainly something where we differentiate our categories. Um, how do we break it down? And that's something we can talk about when we talk about Revolt X. What, what are the prices here in the United States? Yeah, I'm curious and excited given your tenure at Giant, just when you started to see like a gravel bike first emerge in the lineup. And obviously the date you dropped to me earlier, I think was 2013. Yeah. The category barely existed at that point. So I'm curious if you recall, like why was that bike created originally? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I, I don't want to say it was created by accident, but at the time, you know, the category managers, the marketing staff, we're in touch with the market. We ride a lot. It's our passion. So we're out there and seeing what, what people are doing. Gravel at the time from a, a mass production level really didn't exist. This is over a decade ago, like you just indicated. The consumers were, you know, maybe the, the elite, that bleeding edge was kind of experimenting with, you know, taking a road bike and putting on the biggest tires possible and riding it in more aggressive terrain. Um, I would say we caught onto that 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 trend and it was it was just a developing trend way back then and we said hey you know what let's experiment it seems like it makes sense this might actually go somewhere this this might not be a fad like single speeding right like that came and went for the most part this actually has legs given the trends at the time of generally speaking you know road bike sales were just beginning to slump off people might might have started getting turned off a little bit about road riding just because of safety issues or just because of wanting to explore their terrain a little bit more than a traditional road bike could take them um, so it was kind of a culmination of a lot of a different events 
let us dip our toe in the water with the first revolt series and that was like over a decade ago and looking back at the bike looking at the geometry looking at the max tire size you know i'm not going to say it was wrong in every way but it was an experiment right it was our first mass production toe dipped in the water and we learned a tremendous amount from that first generation so here we are today talking about our latest generation which is the revolt x which as your listeners know is a front suspension gravel bike and definitely happy to talk about that yeah, it's so interesting. I feel like back in that 2013, 2014, 2015, like there was this pocket of riders that weren't necessarily, you know, riding gravel. They were just happened to be riding on dirt roads or wanted a more durable drop bar bike for commuting. And so there was like enough of a pocket in there, despite like people wanting to use the bike for many different things. Sure. That type of bike made a lot of sense. And then, you know, as we moved forward into 2015, 2016, you started to sort of see this very much more specialized gravel event happen and people like really leaning into a gravel bike as a replacement for a road bike, potentially in certain scenarios. So talk a little bit, if you can, at at sort of a broad level about how you saw the Revolt model evolve over those early years into, you know, 2016, 2017. Right. And so just like you indicated, Craig, you know, the the racing scene at that time was just starting to bubble up more local events, little kind of underground events. But we, when we, anytime we create a new product, we do ask ourselves, okay, is this product going to be raced or is this product going to be ridden? Is this for the adventure rider or is this for the guy, you know, shaves his legs and has the Lycra uh, one piece kit on and is going, going for the number plate thing. So at that time we said no on racing because racing really didn't seem like it was that big a deal. So the original revolt was geared more towards adventure, was more towards exploration, was riding those B and C level roads or even some, you know, all, all, maybe at the time, very light single track kind of stuff, but it was not. Was it originally a, was it a carbon bike originally? No, 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 no. Again, I I would use the term experimental at the time. And so first generation, I think we talked about this a little bit offline, but committing to composite cutting molds is an entirely different thing than building an aluminum bike. Aluminum bikes obviously take a lot of engineering. There is a lot of technology in it. But the commitment level to building an aluminum bike from a from a mass production standpoint is significantly less than committing to composites. So, like I said, bit of an experiment. The first revolt, um, we want to dip our toe in the water. It was aluminum, and so really easy. If we needed to second generation, if we needed to change geometry, it's very very easy to do that. Once you cut molds, and, and I know you, and I know a lot of your listeners know this, but once you cut those molds for composite. There's no going back. And, you know, I think we talked about this offline. The commitment level to cutting molds for a composite bike can can be darn near $100,000 per size. So you need to think about your return on investment when you're committing to composite. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Amazing. Like, I love taking this journey with you. And then, you know, as I mentioned to you offline, like I became super attracted, I think, to the revolt aesthetic and performance attributes in that like 2018 timeframe, maybe, maybe 2019, but found that it was sort of oriented towards a, a narrower tire size at that time. Does that kind of track with the, the 
sort of design and performance objectives at that time for that model? Yeah, for sure. At that time, when we, you know, we're trying to look into our, our crystal ball of the future, just, you know, point of reference, when we build uh, or create a new range or series of bicycles, you know, we're looking at a three-year lifespan, no more, absolutely no more than a five-year lifespan before we're going to come out with the next generation. So three okay. years generally, but we yeah. need to look in our crystal ball because we need to see what trends are happening, what trends are, are, are growing and what, what trends are faltering. At the time, we um, wanted to kind of maximize tire size without going bonkers. And I know a lot of folks, including yourself, kept screaming for larger and larger tire size. At that, like that second generation revolt, um, we didn't feel it was necessary. But when we move into this next generation here, like especially with Revolt X, we can talk about larger tire size. Yeah. 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 Well, let's get into it. Let's get into the revolt. Um, and, and maybe you can sort of break down. You've got one series that has the RockShox suspension fork and a dropper post, which I love the idea of. Yeah. And then you've got the other, the other sort of uh, standard rigid bike. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, a great takeoff point. And, and kind of just for the record, let me, let me state our, our view of what you just talked, what you just talked about. So currently in our line, um, we launched this uh, a little over a year ago, was our Revolt Advanced Pro. And that's our composite um, Revolt bike. That's the bike you're going to see our um, professional racers on. Um, you're going to see that with most folks should probably pick that bike if they're going to put a number plate on for most type of terrain. Um, and we certainly, in our marketing materials and our communications, we talk about racing openly, freely, and, and proudly with that bike. No, it is not just a race bike. It's a very lightweight. It can be used for exploration or simply, you know, riding on rougher roads. It's fine. But you will yeah. hear us talk about racing quite a bit with that with that current model of Revolt Advanced Pro. Yeah. The bike that we're focusing on today is the is the Revolt X Advanced Pro, and so that has a suspension fork, just like you said, just like you love, and it has the suspension seat post on it. It does have a little bit of suspension on it, if you notice that in the spec, but the dropper yeah. as well. So. Yeah. Not to say that's not a race bike, but we're not going to be positioning it. Our professional racers probably won't be seen racing on that bike. It's a bit more for exploration, really those all-day adventure rides down rougher, rougher terrain, which there is certainly a trend for. But just to put it in perspective, um, in terms of sales numbers, you're going to still see most people choosing the Revolt Advance Pro, that, that composite line um, for their everyday riding. This Revolt X yeah. is for a unique person like yourself or maybe some of your listeners who want and are asking for more. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, as when RockShock and SRAM launched that fork, yeah. gosh, maybe a year ago right. plus, mm -hmm. like, I realized that you know, the early adopters of that fork were likely going to have to either retrofit it and deal with the geometric changes that it's going to apply to their bike or get a custom frame built because the larger manufacturers just weren't ready to kind of jump on that trend. I think it made sense to like allow RockShock to put it out there in the world alongside um, what Fox had been doing for yeah. some time earlier than that and just see where it was going to sit. But I was sort of eagerly waiting for a larger brand like Giant to put one on a bike just to expose the world to the attributes of something that was purpose-built and designed around that fork. Because to your point, not everybody's racing. And it seems like there is a world and there are locations in the world where this type of suspended gravel bike, while it's still oriented around 
gravel riding, right? You're still going to ride it on the road and mixed terrain or whatever, but giving the rider an advantage, whether it's more comfort or stability or safety or performance with that suspension fork was going to be something that is going to appeal to yet these ever more refined niches of gravel that are emerging. Yeah. It, it's interesting, Craig, you know, you and I were talking offline before, and I, I learned a, a bit about your history, um, certainly with mountain biking. And, and we all remember way back in the day when, you know, the Rock Chalks RS1 first came out, it seemed like a gimmick, maybe a novelty and manufacturers, pretty much all of them, simply took that suspension fork and threw it on an existing frame and frames back then were all steel. But you know, that was one way to kind of dip their toe in the water to try out suspension and see if it's going to stick and, and all of that. But they were taking a new product that seriously altered the geometry and putting it on an existing frame. And that would have been the easy way for us to approach this. It certainly would have been the more economical way. Again, you know, we think about commitment to cutting molds is so expensive in order to open a new mold for a composite frame. But we said, and we believe you me, we argued about this a lot um, within the company is do we fully commit if we're going to put a suspension fork on a revolt, do we fully commit to creating an entirely new series of molds? And the answer was we either do it or we don't. And so we did it and we committed to a full size run um, of new frames that are suspension augmented or suspension adjusted to accept a 40 millimeter fork. Um, it's a gamble. Yeah. I, we'll see about how sales are um, universally. Again, um, it's 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 definitely a risky move because we invested a lot into this frame to make sure that it it handles correctly. We didn't want it to be you know a tugboat and really sluggish. If you put on a longer fork on an existing frame, it would slack out the front end so much so that it would yeah. it would kill the characteristics of the bike. We didn't want to do that. Yeah, I think that's a critical balance. And for the for the listener who can't kind of can't visualize, like with the suspension fork, your head tube has to there has to be a little bit more space, right? Because those forks are longer in order to add that 40 millimeters or whatnot of suspension in there. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an adjustment. And if you just slap it on your average bike, it's gonna make it a little bit more relaxed. And maybe that is actually appropriate for how you're going to ride said bike, but is not the intended geometry that the designer put underneath you to begin with. So it is important to have someone thinking about those adjustments and designing them into the frame, geometrically speaking. But also you mentioned to me that you you also added a little bit more beef to the head tube in an understanding that the bike is going to face different challenges and obstacles out there. Yeah, that's exactly right, Craig. So if you think about this, so our existing Revolt Advance Pro, a size medium, has a head tube length of about 150 millimeters. In order to properly compensate for the kind of that axle to crown length of a suspension fork, the Revolt X Advance Pro that we're talking about today has 115 millimeter head tube. So that head tube is significantly shorter in order to accommodate that longer lever arm of a suspension fork. And just like you indicated, um, in order to make sure that the bike would be safe, strong enough to handle that longer lever lever arm, the engineering of the frame is a bit different in order to handle that that suspension fork. Now, I know you've got a ton of experience personally and passionately about mountain bikes and the mountain bike world. When it came to putting a dropper post on that bike, what were you thinking and how do you feel that, you know, the dropper post adds value in that particular bike? For me, it was easy because I am a mountain biker and it, within the company, I was early adopter of, of a dropper seat post. And 
I can't imagine riding a bike today without a dropper seat post. It just has become part of the ride experience. And maybe I'm even more radical in thinking that pretty much every bicycle should have a dropper seat post on it. And, and I know I'm joking about the road side of things, but maybe I'm not joking about the road side of things. When it came to this product, especially considering its intent of being rid, ridden over more rough terrain, varied terrain, yeah. I mean, that was a no brainer. And so there is a, a dropper seat post on all of the models of the Revolt X. Okay. Yeah. Well, you get no objection from me here. As everybody well knows, big fan. I would consider it an upgrade to any bicycle I have underneath me, but yeah. I will get off my soapbox or maybe not even mount it today because I've been on it many times before on the pod. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about the the fork and the the dropper post, but let's talk about the frame and some of the other attributes. I know that there's some shared attributes between the Revolt Advance and the X in terms of like that flip chip. Let's drill into what that means and let's talk about the tire size and capability of the bike. Yeah, for sure. So some of the similarities between the two uh, ranges, so that's the, the Revolt Advance Pro and this new Revolt X Advance Pro is, and that's one of the features you just mentioned, is the flip chip dropout. Flip chip dropout is simply a flippable chip that is located in the rear dropout of the frame. That dropout, whether it can be shifted from its low position or to its high position, that's 10 millimeters of difference. What that 10 millimeters does for yourself and for your listeners, you do understand that that will elongate the wheelbase, making it a more stable ride. Um, I think more significantly than that even is that it allows for different tire size. So in its short position, when the flip chip is, is shifted forward, that allows for a 42 millimeter maximum tire size. If you really want a 700 C, right? 700 C, yeah. If you want to flip to the um, long position, that allows for a 53 millimeter tire um, in that wow. long position. That's, that's yeah, interesting. That's pretty meaty. What are the what are the different lengths of the stays, if you recall? Off the top of my head, I, I don't know, but it is a 10 millimeter difference from the short okay. position to the long position for sure. Yeah. All geometries are available on our website, so you can see, and that that is size specific as well. That changes. Got it. And then on the on the rigid fork on the advance, is there a flip chip up front? Or? No, no. Okay. We didn't see the need for a flip chip up front. Um, you can run, you know, a fifty three millimeter tire. It doesn't matter. Um, there is no flip chip up front. That's you know, we, we we ask ourselves these questions when we're creating the product. That starts to get down the wormhole of how much is too much. You start adding a lot of features to a product like this. Obviously that adds complication, that can add complexity and maintenance, and it can also add weight. So what is really gonna make a difference for the rider is something we always ask ourselves. And when you design these bikes, are you designing strictly around a 700C wheel set or are you also you know, accommodating a 650? No, we, we think about 700C. I mean, the majority of, of consumers who are gonna purchase this product or interested in purchasing this product certainly will ride a 700C wheel. I know others, including yourself, might wanna run a different size wheel. Um, you're obviously free to do that as well. But our geometries listed don't get in, go down that, that rabbit hole of yeah. what if you use this size wheel? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, several years ago, I think just sort of the the design constraints or the vision at that moment was you needed to do 650B wheels in order to get that bigger tire size. Yeah. And now that you and you, like many others, are able to run 700 by 50 tires without changing geometry, 
to me, who was a big proponent of 650B yeah. a number of years ago, I'm, I'm sort of more open to the idea that, you know, 700C, you've got everything you could need. If you can go up to 700 by, you know, in your case, 53, like I don't see a need for, for much more than someone on the bike packing margins right. to ever want more than that. And then to your point, like the bike, both aesthetically and performance wise, you go down to a 700 by 40, which maybe is a sort of standard-ish race size. Mm -hmm. You can take that tighter uh, rear end with that flip chip and you've got a, a supercharged race bike underneath you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it does have that that variability in it. And we're just seeing, I don't, we are seeing less 650B out there in the market because again, um, we've been able to compensate very well for 700C. So we're, we're pretty satisfied with that decision. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Any other attributes of the bike that you would typically point out? Well, the, the neat thing about it is, you know, if you're a reader or if your listeners are familiar with the Revolt Advance Pro, one of the, the core features on that is what we call our, our diffuse handlebar and diffuse seat post. Um, in general, you know, kind of taking a big step back with Giant, one thing we've always been really proud of is not promoting, not creating gimmicks. Um, integrated suspension systems, you know, really, really complex things unique to frames like that. We try and avoid doing that kind of stuff because we see a lot of our competitors making those decisions to add whatever their own integrated suspension system. And that's not our angle. That's not what we're, pr we're proud of. So when we introduce the technology, we want it to be effective, but we want it to be simple as well. Diffuse is our kind of flexible handlebar and flexible seat post. It's a D shaped seat post it's a d shaped okay. handlebar it offers a little bit of compliance it's a little bit of compliance no weight penalty simplicity you know it's not going to break it doesn't require maintenance and it's something that riders can feel now obviously the revolt x that we're talking about today um, doesn't have that diffuse seat post it has a, a dropper seat post which does have a little bit of suspension in it about 20 mils of suspension um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that there are options for seat post. If you don't want to run a dropper, you can run a traditional round uh, seat post if you want, or you can run our diffuse seat post, which offers, I'll call it a 10 millimeters of four aft travel on it as well. So options okay. for the uh, for the rider, for the owner. And for clarity, so that the diffuse seat post, mm -hmm. it, it's the the frame accommodates a round seat post, but the diffuse has a D shape somewhere in the in the post no well so the entire seat post itself is d-shaped it's using okay. a series of shims you can put in um that d-shaped into our round seat tube or you can use a different gotcha. shim to put in a you know a round seat post okay gotcha. so options the one bottom of, line is options one of the hallmarks i always think visually of the giant design has been that sort of dropped seat stay mm -hmm. And I know it's not just an aesthetic decision. What's the kind of design philosophy behind that? Rudimentary suspension, if you think about it, it kind of creates a pivot point for the seat tube. If you think about it, your listeners can visualize this. The actual flexing of the seat tube is kind of pivoted off that drop, um, that drop stay. If you put the stay up in an old school traditional format, it would kind of negate that. So long story short, it offers a tiny bit of overall seat tube suspension as the seat post, as your seat, as your weight kind of pivots off that yeah. pivot point. That makes sense. And am, am I correct? Is that 
technology also translate or maybe it originated on the road side of Giants business? Yeah. So the road bikes kind of leaning into that compliance as well? Started way back when. Everything we just talked about started from the cyclocross side of things. Um, Started with our TCX. TCX featured a lot of what we're talking about today. That was our test bed for diffuse. Um, That was our test bed for kind of the, the, the drop stays. Because it and, and, you know, we all know how the sport of cyclocross has gone. It, it's, it's kind of been superseded by uh, by gravel. But everything we just talked about today was tried on our cyclocross bike first. We proved it and it moved on to revolt. And then a little bit we'll move on to, you know, our endurance road bikes as well. And yeah. then to some degree onto high performance road racing as well. Yeah. Interesting. I just had this other giant model name pop into my head and I, I think it might've been officially my first proper road bike I bought as an adult was a giant Kadex. Yeah. That's a really, uh, that's, that's a poignant topic you're bringing up. So <laughs> Kadex was our first line of carbon fiber bicycles, you know, way back when for one of the first mass produced, uh, not the first, but one of the first mass produced carbon fiber bikes that consumers could buy both road and mountain. Um, that was innovative at the time, really complex to make, reasonably successful for us, but that went away. Um, Today, the Kadex net name lives on in our extremely high performance range of componentry that is separate from Giant. Um, those components can be found on many other brands as well. But that Kadex name lives on uh, moving into the future. I remember, I recall it being reintroduced uh, as a brand for those components. And I, sorry, I can't help but jump on the way back train when well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> it, it's totally it's totally appropriate. I, I, I love jumping on the Wayback Machine and, and looking back because, you know, the, the topic of the conversation of the comments that certainly come up with Revolt X are, my gosh, you know, it looks like an old school mountain bike. And and I'll be honest with you, Craig, I just hopped in the garage. I have a Revolt X, Revolt X Advanced Pro Zero sitting in my garage, it's size extra large, and I just wanted to weigh it just, you know. This is actual production. This is the same bike you can buy. Again, size extra large. I'm a pretty tall rider. But it was 20 pounds, 15 ounces uh, without pedals. So, you know, th- that, that's fairly heavy. And, you know, I think you could get a hardtail mountain bike somewhere down within that realm of range. But these are two yeah. totally different products that are geared towards two different riding experiences. So you can draw your similarities, yeah, that's... but it's different. Yeah, you know, I get I get drawn into those debates as well. And I, you know, living in the Bay Area and formerly living in San Francisco itself, I had a hardtail mountain bike. And I can tell you that while I touched the same terrain that I, I did back in my hardtail mountain biking days, I definitely ride it differently and create different loops because of the drop bars and the gravel bike. It gets definitely like it it exists and it's hard to describe potentially. It definitely exists in a different space in my mind and in my garage in terms of like where I'm going to go when I get on a gravel bike versus a mountain bike. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we're speaking of generalities here, but I'm sure as heck not going to ride my mountain bike 15, 20 miles on the road to get to some mixed conditions. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do that on my mountain bike. You can, but I, it's just not traditionally done. I would gladly do it on Revolt X, right? You pump up the tires and, and go for a 15, 20 mile. Yeah. 30 mile road ride 
to get to those interesting BC roads or light single track, different experience altogether. Yeah, it's so true. Like you would consider that a failure of a mountain bike ride. If you had to ride for an hour road, 30 minutes of dirt and then rode an hour home on the road. That would not be a mountain bike ride. No. Whereas it's a perfectly fine gravel ride. It's exactly what we intended when we created Revolt X. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I will, uh, Andrew, I'll put uh, links in the show notes so everybody can find images of these bikes and find where to buy them from their local giant dealer. And sure. I very much appreciated you coming on the show and talking a little bit about your history and the history of Giant because it's such a a storied brand that many of us have been familiar with for obviously, you know, our entire cycling careers. Yeah. And it's great to see it come full circle. And for you guys to have such a, what I think is sort of a spot on spec for a modern gravel bike. Well, great. Thanks for having me, Craig. I mean, I think it's a really interesting story, not only with this particular product, but kind of where it came from, what we were thinking and, and how Giant was able to make it unique in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think it's also like, you know, the economics of the bike industry are important to consider and the the sort of uh, engineering and manufacturing might that a giant can put forth just kind of provides a lot of confidence, I think, for owners that, you know, you, the bike has been well-engineered, well-tested and didn't come out before it was ready. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for noticing that. And that, that really was, you know, a massive argument within the company. If we're going to do it, let's do it right. And let's commit to a frame that is suspension adjusted. So thanks for noticing yeah. that. Yeah, of course. It was a pleasure talking to you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Craig. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Andrew for joining the show and talking a little bit about Giant's history and a lot about that interesting Revolt X gravel bike that is now available in the United States. I look forward to seeing more front suspension running gravel riders out there in the world to join me. I certainly enjoy it in my local terrain. If you're interested in connecting with me, please visit www.theridership.com. The Ridership is a free global cycling community where you can connect with athletes around the world to talk all things gravel and gravel riding. There are two ways in which you can support the show if you're able to. Ratings and reviews or sharing this podcast with another gravel rider are hugely appreciated. Ratings and reviews are where podcasters get noticed. So reviews of the five-star variety, if that's your opinion, are hugely helpful to what we do at the Gravel Ride Podcast. Additionally, if you're able to financially support the show, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride and contribute to our ongoing efforts to bring you coverage of the world of gravel cycling. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.